Hi everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Low Season Traveller Insider Guides. I'm your host, Jed Brown, founder of Low Season Traveller, and this week we're continuing our podcast series on low season travel in the African continent. Most of us are not as well travelled in Africa as we are in other regions of the world, and that includes me. Yet, Africa offers some of the most incredible, awe-inspiring and breathtaking travel experiences available in our world. As a continent, Africa experiences the tiniest fraction of incoming tourists that are seen compared to Europe, the Americas, Asia and Australasia. And yet, it is Africa which has some of the richest cultural heritage, wildlife, flora and fauna found anywhere in the world. As our guest will mention, it's only when we visit these incredible destinations for ourselves that we truly begin to understand. Once you go, you know. And so, as we seek experiences away from the crowds, join us as we continue our journey to some of the least visited destinations in the world and learn just why on earth Africa is so often overlooked when we consider our travel plans. In this second episode, we're joined by Warren Pearson, who's a specialist naturalist guide, an explorer, a photographer, a fellow of the Royal Geographic Society, and he's completed many projects with Animal Planet and National Geographic, among many others. Warren has traveled extensively throughout the African continent and appeared courtesy of Africa Rome as part of our Low Season Africa mini-series on Facebook and YouTube Live, which are held every Monday at 1400 UK time. In this episode, we spoke to Warren about the low-season experiences to be enjoyed in Botswana. Enjoy. Hi, Jed. How are you doing? I'm very good indeed. You, you, look, you look a bit chilly there, Warren. Uh, describe for our audience where you are and what's the weather like. Um, I'm at home at the moment. Um, it's a tad chilly. Yeah, we, we've got quite a big storm that's just hit us last night and today. Um, so it's raining quite a bit. Uh, the winds are pumping, and um, yeah, I've I've got my nice warm clothes on. You you look like you're enjoying summer. Yeah, well, you know, our, our summer's probably the equivalent to your uh, to your winter, if I'm being fair. But uh, <laughs> it's not too bad. I I, I can't grumble. Um, it's always interesting, though, to me. I think you know a lot of people they don't think of Africa as being a cold place, and of course, uh, down in South Africa, it can get quite chilly, right? It can get very chilly. Actually, I heard from a, a colleague of mine that it's actually snowing in parts of the southern Kalahari, which is where we're going to wow. be talking about today. But uh, yeah, I think it's probably just very light snow, um, probably more yeah. like sleet. But that just gives you an idea that, yeah, we've had this massive cold front that's come across the country. Um, it's gone all the way up into Namibia and the southern sections of Botswana. So it gets chilly. Yeah, fair play, fair play. So today we're talking about Botswana. We're moving on from um, from uh, South Africa. Um, so I suppose let's let's try and build, again build a picture for anybody out there that isn't familiar with Botswana. Uh, first of all, geographically, where where are we talking about here? It's it's a it's a landlocked country directly north of of South Africa. Um, on its western border, it has Namibia. On its eastern border, it has Zimbabwe. Um, so yeah, just to give you an idea, it's it's, it's classified in Southern Africa. Um, it's primarily a lot of people refer to Botswana as just a desert, um, which it, it gets to me a bit because it's not. There's, there's so much to Botswana. Um, it has a large portion of the portion of the Kalahari, which is is in uh, South Africa, in Botswana. Um, but we can get more to, to exactly the definitions of deserts and, and the Kalahari and, and all that side of things um, as we go along the talk today. Um, yep. But it's a country I love. It's, it's honestly, it's, it's, it's just to give you an idea, I mean, it's, it's a size, uh, it's a country with a similar size to France. Um, you've got a picture up there in the United States there. Um, it's a similar size to Texas in, in effect. Um, and there's the other one with just regards to Europe, how big it actually is. That's and massive. if you look at that country's size, and the thing that what really gets to me and what I love about it is it has literally just over 2 million people that live in Botswana, so wow. 2.3 million people. Um, you know, it's, it's Africa's oldest and most successful democracy. Um, it was a British protectorate uh, during the colonization of, of Africa um, almost 100 years ago. And uh, yeah, it, it's just it's it's just had a fantastic run of of it was once really seen as as sort of how can I say it the um, 
almost the the, uh, the basket case for better use of a word in African countries, and it's now seen as the as, as the bread basket. Um, yep. You know, they've done really well from a tourism perspective. They've got a fantastic diamonds are actually one of their, their largest exports and and, and uh, parts of the economy. Um, cattle cattle farming is another large one. So they just it's a country that for me it's on the up and the up, and and it's got a bit of bad press of late um, of all sorts of different reasons and. But um, if you look at it from a, a long history of African countries, to me, it's it's a place that you definitely want to come and visit. Fantastic! It's yeah, I hadn't realised just quite how how vast it is. And when you say the populations, do you say two million? It's just over two million. I think the last uh, stats I've got is two point three million people. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, yeah, pretty. There's got to be quite a few wide open spaces, I would guess, in Botswana. Again, when you look at it, the size compared to France as well. <laughs> There are a lot of wide open spaces. <laughs> For sure. Um, let's have a look. There was, there was, um, you very kindly sent us in um, another photograph, which I absolutely love. Let me stick it up here now. Um, and this is, um, I'll make it larger, actually. Um, this is a photo of, well, you, you tell us. It's Well, this is, this is probably one of the most well-known parts of Botswana, and it's, it's a place that we will be talking about, but there are a lot of other places. Um, but that's a picture from the International Space Station of the Okavango River, and you can actually see the the two river systems that come uh, from the north, which is in Angola there, and then it comes comes down south and comes into the Okavango Delta. And this is the the one system or river system in the world that actually doesn't flow to the ocean; it actually just flows into the sands of the Kalahari. Um, and as it's sort of where you see it sort of fanning out like that, it's it's incorrectly yeah. called a delta; it's actually called an alluvial fan. Um, if I really want to be pedantic about it. Yeah. But um, if you look very closely on the very bottom section of that uh, photograph, you can see a line of water, and that's a yep. fault line. And that that is literally what's caused this river to um, fan out and, and, and literally slow down and literally just sinks itself into the, into the sands of the Kalahari. And, and right down at the bottom of that picture, you'll see some whitish sand. Yep. Um, that's actually the Makhari salt pans. That's the start of it. That's the northern section of it. Um, and I'd love to talk more about that because that's also a very uh, unusual place to, to go and visit and, and a place I would definitely recommend most people to go and visit on their, on their trip to Botswana. Um, it's actually the remnants of an ancient super lake that uh, is, I think it's, if I stand correct, but it's probably about 30,000 square kilometers big. Wow. Um, which makes it one of the largest salt pans in the world. Yeah. Wow, that's just something else. So we're talking about you know quite quite a diverse uh, landscape throughout Botswana. Obviously, it's a vast country, um, but it must be you know there must be a number of different sort of types of uh, you know I guess terrain uh, that are there. I mean, it almost looks like you know is it, is it sort of like would you would you describe those almost like floodplains? I mean, the you know the, the fanning out area there. The, the fanning out, you, you can look at it as as it's it's almost like a swamp if you want to yep. better use of a word. Um, yep. It's it's a massive inland delta system, and it, it swells with the floodwaters when they come in during our winter, which is right now. Um, yep. And then in our summer, um, the, the floodwaters recede, and it's literally I compare it to this heartbeat happening of this heartbeat of water pumping in, and then it slowly recedes out and slowly comes back in again. Um, so yeah, you get a lot of wetland, you get a lot of water. Um, uh, it's 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 really hard to explain it because it's it's not what people would really expect of yeah. a dry landlocked country. Um, it's it's in the wet season it's very wet and there are certain sections even in the dry season where the water will always be there, um, but not as much as obviously when when the floodwaters come down. Yeah, fair enough. Um, you mentioned before um, in the sort of introduction there that. Um, you know, we have to sort of be upfront about it. Botswana has been in the news very recently. So, again, for the for the purposes of the podcast, which comes out, we're recording this on the thirteenth of of July, twenty twenty. Um, and uh, yeah, Botswana has been in the news recently because Botswana has got one of the largest populations of uh, wild elephant um, in the world, right, Warren? And um, and yeah, there's been um, well, let's let's show people. Let's show everybody the clip, actually, if we if we can. Uh, let me bring it up here. Um, I just want to show everybody, and I just want to warn you: some of these some of these images can be a little bit um, a little bit disturbing. Um, 
but it's just important, I think. Aerial photos reveal elephants collapsed on the Okavango Delta. Botswana's government says they started dying mysteriously in March. They've counted 275 carcasses so far. The National Park Rescue says the actual number of dead elephants could be more than 400. Whenever they went out, there were they would see more Whenever they went out, they would see more and more elephants. And also, and also, ones that were you know ill and you know ill. And, uh, walking around, you know, like walking around, about to die, like, apparently. About to die, and and, and it it and, seemed they were even dying. It seemed they were even very suddenly in some of the cases. You know, very the suddenly in some of the cases, the carcasses were animals that had fallen down or walking. Down With their tusks intact, Botswana's government says there is no evidence of poaching. The conservationists warn against ruling anything out, including COVID nineteen. We haven't ruled out that it was poison laid by poachers. They've certainly not been shot. But it's a possibility that it's a poison of some sort. There's also a possibility that it's a natural toxin, something that's occurring in the soil or the water, or that it's a disease of some sort. And until those results come back, so yeah, it's talk us through. You know, you're obviously sort of closer to this than than most. Um, what's the what's the latest on that at the moment? That that clip was from uh, actually just under two weeks ago, uh, Warren. Yeah. But we've we've sort of seen it on the news. Certainly, we've seen it here in the UK, and I'm sure it's been in other parts of the world. And it's kind of, yeah, it's 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 concerning. So, talk us through. You know, what what's the latest and what's been what's been happening with this? Yeah, um, Jed, it's 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 very distressing indeed. And um, to, to be honest with you, you know, no one really knows right now. Um, mm what is happening. Um, what they have eliminated is poaching, um, anthrax, um, as well as any sort of typical organophosphates um, have been ruled out. And, and that's just because, uh, you know, the ivory hasn't been removed from any of these elephants. Um, there's been no secondary poisonings that have happened. Um, my guess, and that's just me personally, and I'm not a scientist in any, in any form, but it, it, it could be related to something uh, from the extreme drought conditions uh, from last year. Uh, there could be nutritional stress happening with them. There could be secondary plant compounds um, that could be affecting them. Who knows? It's, it really, we don't know. And we will only know um, when the test results uh, come back. And I know that the, the Botswana government has sent out uh, test results, I think, to Zimbabwe, South Africa, and, and I can't think of one other country at the moment. There is another country. Um, and they've got the test results back from Zimbabwe. They are waiting for the test results back from South Africa before they do release a press statement on, on exactly uh, what has caused this. And I think only those test results will be able to tell us what is going on. But it is, it's, it's, very, it's very distressing indeed. And, um, you know, if you look at it a bigger picture, it's, it's not a lot of elephants. I mean, I know it, it is, a, I mean, it is a lot, but in the bigger scheme of things, you've you got an elephant population of close on 130,000 elephants. Um, in in that ecosystem, um, mm. but still, you know, if if it's affecting these elephants, it, it could actually spread to a lot more if it is um, a bigger concern. So we we do wait to hear the results. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, definitely, it's it's a it's a big worry. Um, in terms of you know with, with with elephants, and again, for you know a lot of our our viewers and and listeners out there. They might not be as familiar with elephants. We, we all know that elephants exist. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, what, why, why are elephants, you know, such such curious creatures? Why why are they absolutely worthy of our attention and of our protection? First of all, I mean, for, for me, an elephant, it's a sentient being. It's, um, you know, if you if you get to watch elephants long enough and, and I'm very fortunate that I've been able to watch them for, for many, many years. And you watch their behaviors and you watch their mannerisms and you watch individuals, how they grow up within the herd. You just watch the herd structure, you watch how the females and it's a matriarchal led society and you know how the mothers and the aunts and the sisters, how they look after each other. And um, and then you talk about the communication of elephants, you know, they communicate in so many different ways that we I think there's still parts of communication or elephant communication that we don't even know about yet. Um, you know, we, no. we've we've had certain ideas and we, we do know certain ways that they, they can to communicate, but I think there's a lot we don't really know. Um, but it's just, it's an animal that, I mean, it, this, this, this example always pops up into my mind when someone thinks about this. And many years ago when I was guiding at a lodge, 
we, we came across an elephant herd and there was this young elephant that had a deformed pelvis. It was born with a, a deformed uh, you know, rear pelvis and, and sort of its back legs were bow-legged in like that. Okay. And this, this elephant literally couldn't walk. And it, with a young elephant calf, you're always going to get a, a helper, which is an elephant a couple of years older than that, that will assist it as it grows up, um, almost like a kid babysitter. Yeah. And this helper was sticking its trunk underneath the back legs of this deformed elephant. And every time it had to walk, would pick it up and move with wow. it as it would walk. And I watched this walking across this herd, watch walk across a, um, a clearing in, in front of me in this open area. And we watched that elephant. We didn't think it was going to survive. Um, you know, it was probably about three months old at the time. We didn't think it was going to survive another month or two. And this elephant survived for close to seven years. Um, no. Sadly, this, this elephant, the, the, the deformity didn't get any better. We thought maybe it would have, but just th th these elephants helped each other. And the, the, the maternal, the immediate maternal herd broke away from their initial herd just to slow down and stick with this young elephant. And, you know, they, they, they do, they, they go back to a, a member that has been, you know, it's died of, 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 natural causes or whatever it might be. And you can see them sniffing it and sniffing the carcass and sniffing the skull. You can see there's a memory. And if you get close enough to look into an elephant's eye, it really, it's it just, your heart sits here, not because you've got this massive animal there, but you just look at it looking at you. And I'd probably think it'd be the same if you looked at a whale's eye, you know, yeah. if you get that close, it, it studies you and it looks at you and you can just see it's, it's such a gentle giant. Yeah. Um, and I get quite upset when I hear people talk about rogue elephants and, and, you know, animals like that because they're not naturally rogue. They're not naturally aggressive. They're probably one of the most gentlest of animals that I've ever come across. Um, you just don't want to get them angry. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is fair enough, really, as well. <laughs> but it's in, it's incredible, though, how you, you know, how you, how you describe them. And I've sort of heard it said before about how, you know, that they, they grieve almost or it, it, it seems like they grieve for um for any of their you know members that have that have passed away um and it does then make me think that you know this you know for the elephants that are surviving the current situation must be incredibly traumatic uh for for, for those to, to have to watch you know members of their herd or whatever being um you know dying and falling over in this way absolutely i mean I'm, i've often thought about these these recent deaths and the communication that it goes out, and it has been proven that you know, elephants send signals down through their feet into the earth, and that can travel miles of kilometers. I mean, it's just, it's over, uh, I think someone said one time it can go probably over close on 50 kilometers to 100 kilometers away. Um, wow. And you think of ele elephants in that vicinity that is picking up on this, what they are reading into and what they're hearing about what these elephants are going through there's definitely a distress i'm sure i'm sure of it it has to happen um you know it's something that is yeah it's it saddens me but we we wait to see what what happens yeah in in that way um so obviously you know we said before at the outset that uh, botswana has got one of the largest populations of of elephant uh, anywhere in the world so is that is that one of the things which botswana is the most famous for when we're talking about um you know, safari tourism, wildlife tourism, is that one of the main, you know, drivers of that tourism to, you know, to experience the, the, um, you know, the herds of elephant? Um, I, I'd probably say no. Um, I'd, I'd probably say the, the first and foremost thing would probably be the Okavango Delta. Um, yep. Just with, it's, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Um, you know, the elephant herds have, it's definitely a draw card. And I think that that tourism marketing has definitely pushed that, um, mm -hmm. you know, them saying, listen, this, we've got 130,000 elephants. They don't say they're only in Botswana. That's an open system. So these elephants do move yeah. between Zimbabwe, Angola, Zambia, Namibia, um, you know, the surrounding countries. And so it's not like you're going to see a massive, massive herd of elephants of that size. Um, but yeah, during when the waters do drop, and particularly along sort of the the Chobi, Savuti, Lanyanti area, which is that very northern section of Botswana, 
if you're there and, and this is the great thing about the low season, you know, when, when the waters recede, not many people want to sort of go there. They want to go when the waters there, but when the waters recede, you can get massive herds of elephants. And these are those, these maternal groups of elephants all coming together. Um, and you can, I've seen herds of, of probably close on a thousand, 2000 elephants um, together in one massive area, which is, it's, it's mind blowing to see. It's, 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 unbelievable so um yeah the, elef the elephants are it's definitely a spectacle but it's it's something that i would say that there's there's um i think it's come down to more to, to tourism marketing than yeah than anything else yeah the, the tourism guys know how to market I give them that. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> um something that you know that, that's always fascinated me and again i'm acutely aware that i'm incredibly ignorant um about this and you know maybe it, it could be um, a question that, that some of our viewers might pose as well is um, my, my in my ignorance I always thought a safari is a safari is a safari so a safari in Kruger you know safari in Kenya Tanzania Botswana you know is, is there any great difference I mean it's a safari is a safari uh, am, am I right or am I wrong I, obviously I suspect I'm very wrong <laughs> naturally but um, explain to me why I'm why I'm wrong what why why is the safari experience and the wildlife experience so so different in Botswana? Um, one word: diversity. Um, right. If you look at the diversity of, of of Botswana, you have sand dunes, you have arid savanna, you've got huge massive salt pans, you've got the largest inland delta, um, <clears throat> you've got you know just the, the the habitat changes from one place to the other. I'm not saying that Kruger doesn't change. I mean, Kruger is very linear. It goes north to south um, and, and is slightly larger than Israel, just to put that into perspective. So it's, it's a massive, massive area, but it is more uniform in, in sort of, uh, there is diversity, but nothing quite like what you would get in Botswana. Fair point. Um, you've um, you've also shared with us some. Um, some you're a keen photographer, right? You 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 do a lot of photography. I mean, you, you're in the perfect you're in the perfect place for it. To, uh, <laughs> I could be a keen photographer in Rochdale, and it wouldn't be the same. It's um, an expensive hobby. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? You mean you don't just take these with an iPhone? I'm confused. Yeah, I wish. What? I wish. <laughs> but look, let's just um, let's just show on. These are some of the photographs which which you've taken. Um, and I'm going to uh, see if I can if I can get these a you know a little bit larger. There we go. Um, just talk us through um, just talk us through some of these photos. We've got a few here which um, which we'll show. Um, is this is this is this one as it seems? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is exactly what it seems. So this this is actually in the Khadi Khadi salt pans, and um, I. Uh, I'm not a fan for animals climbing on people, to be honest with you, um, or any sort of animal interaction. Um, but there's, there's one thing about this little group of meerkats that that sort of, it, it's a massive draw card to this area. And, and to be honest, if I can get people out to just to see this area, um, and if this has got to be part of it, then you know, so be it. Um, but these, these meerkats are, they've been habituated to people. They're not tame in any sense of the word. They, they're just habituated to having people walk and be around them. And, and meerkats being fairly small animals, they, they always want to get the height advantage. They want to be able to see far. So, uh, yeah, if you allow them, um, they'll often stand up on you and climb up on you and try and get oh, that wow. perfect height advantage to see further. But this, this to me is just, it's, it's more about, there's a lot more animals out there and particularly very special animals than just the big five, which is actually a term I don't like to use, but you know, lions and leopards and elephants and uh, wild dogs and you know, the big animals that most people associate with Africa. There's a lot more smaller stuff around that, that I want people to see, you know, and, and in, for example, the Kalahari, um, as well as the Makhari Khari salt pans, it's a perfect opportunity to go look for these smaller animals of, um, meerkats of art park of brown ahina of bat-eared foxes um small animals which are really really they are they're special they're, they're unique to see they're fantastic to watch and if you have the time and the patience you know spend time with them yeah i i, I love the um i must admit i love the meerkats uh, my, <laughs> my daughter's also huge meerkat fans they just think they're fantastic the way they stand up to look, look around and very smart as well aren't they you know they're not they're, it's, they're not that's quite interesting because Quite, quite interesting because most, most uh, particularly um, British guests that come out to Africa, 
so well hang on i know america it has a russian accent yeah. and uh, <laughs> they talk about the advert <laughs> yeah it, uh, it always always makes me as an absolute side note have you, have you seen these adverts do you have them in south africa I've seen them a, a few times, yeah, when I've travelled, but no, not in South Africa. So they have this, you know, again, for any viewers that are sort of watching this in the States or anywhere else around the world, um, they they have these adverts. It's called Compare the Market is the name of the company. And they have meerkats and it's it's Sergei and Olive. And they have them in, in um, speaking in Russian accents, speaking yeah. English, but in Russian accents. And um, <laughs> I was saying to my wife the other day, well, she said it to me, to be fair. She was just saying, you know, if, if you gave them, if they, if they were speaking English with a Chinese accent or a Jamaican accent, <laughs> would it work? And you were just thinking, you know, actually, it really wouldn't. It would be a bit, you know, it would be a little bit strange. But for some reason, yeah. in a Russian <laughs> it's fine. But, um, yeah, just that's a complete side note. Um, the next one, um, again, continuing on with the, with the smaller um creatures i guess these are absolutely beautiful birds what, what are these birds and they're in the video as well i think uh i think they were yeah there's a white fronted bee eaters um so yeah just bee eaters white fronted bee eaters and uh they they're it's just you know, the bird life to me in botswana and that's the other side of what a lot of people don't sort of think about first time they come the bird life is spectacular um and in the low season even more so. Um, all the migratory birds are back. And, uh, you know, with these diverse habitats that you have, you're going to get a diverse species uh, or range of, of bird species. So, yeah, it's they are a fantastic, beautiful bird, um, but there are many, many more like that. Yeah. They're just, they're just so beautiful. Um, and they look like they're not, they're not particularly small either, are they? What kind of size uh, are they? No, you do get a bee eater. It's called a little bee eater. <laughs> a very original name. But um, <laughs> so a little a little bee eater is probably I don't know. I can't really give you a perspective, but um, yeah. a couple centimeters tall. But yeah, it's those are. I'd probably say they're the size of. Uh, it's hard to. I don't know which birds you'd get in the UK that you would recognize, but um, maybe the size of a blackbird. Similar yeah, size. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very good. Um, this next uh, photograph. Uh, talk us through. Uh, talk us through this one. How did you come to, to take this one? This is, let me make it larger, because um, that's uh, that's quite a stunning photograph you've got there. We well, we we found this. This is a young male leopard, and uh, he was very curious, and we, we we followed him for quite a while. And um, yeah, he went and lay on this this termite mound. So what he's lying on is actually a termite mound that's sort of, if I can say, attached to a tree. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and he just decided to rest there. And next minute, this elephant started to come in from the right-hand side, and we just waited. Um, and that's probably the biggest, biggest advantage I could, or hint, you know, I could give people coming to safari is patience. Just wait. Yeah. Don't don't try and rush around too much. But we did. We waited probably close on an hour and a half to two hours for this elephant to get just into that shot. Um, and I waited before the the leopard moved pretty shortly after that. I'll be honest. But um, really? yeah, it's it's you know that's that's in in just on the edge of the Okavango Delta and um, the wildlife viewing low season high season it's it's like that you just got to know where to look how to look and have great guides with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we talked last week about the um, the importance of the great guides um, exactly. as well with to to these things. And like you said, you know, I, I suppose for for the keen photographers out there, well, I think any keen photographer knows. You know, you, you've you've got to be patient. You know, you, you've got to wait it out, and you, you know, frequently you will be rewarded, but sometimes you won't be rewarded necessarily. Well, I can guarantee you that probably ninety percent of the time you will be rewarded if you have that patience. Um, and particularly, as I said, if you have a guide that that understands and knows is reading the situation correctly, um, yeah. I've had vehicles come go, come go, come go, and if you wait, something happens. So yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, let's get the next one on. Um, yeah, this is um, this is quite an interesting one. Again, you know, we were talking about the the elephant population there before. Um, that gives an idea of the size. So that's so is that is that a herd of elephants? Is that is that one group? Is that multiple groups? What are we looking at there? That's that's what some people probably typically call a mega herd. Um, it's a it's a bunch of smaller maternal groups that have all come together. Um, and as the waters recede and start sort of uh, drying up. 
you get some of these larger herds coming together to, to get to the water sources. So, yeah, that's, I mean, Botswana is well known. The northern section of Botswana is well known for, for very large elephant herds. As I said, typically during the, the low season. Um, yeah. During the wet season, um, when, it's, when it's all sort of, uh, there's a lot of water around, they do spread out quite a bit. Yeah, so that's um, so that's interesting. So the 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 low season is more the dry season uh, for Botswana, generally speaking. Um, it's uh, quite confusing because yeah. the high season is in our winter, which is which is now. So that's yeah. any time from let's say May through to about August October, um, and the low season would be the rest of the months. Um, and during the high season, which is the dry time, um, it's cold, it's dry, but that's when the waters of the floodwaters of the Okavango Delta come in. And that's what I'd probably say majority of people coming to Botswana want to go for and want to have a look at is the Okavango Delta. Yep. Um, so the, the water levels in the Okavango Delta in the dry season are actually at their highest. And it's vice versa in the, in yeah. the, in the, in the wet season. <laughs> So in the wet season, the water on the delta is low, but you do get a lot more rain showers um, and it's much more green and beautiful. We call it the green season. Yeah. Um, so it can get confusing from that aspect, yeah. Yeah, fair play. Um, but another another great image though. Um, and then this one now as well, this one, uh, this is great. So this is actually a, a piece of video footage. I'll make it larger now in one moment as we play it. Um, but maybe you could then, um, in fact, as we play it, maybe you could talk us through um, how you came to take this footage and exactly um, exactly what we're looking at and where um, where we're we're looking at it. Let me let me get play on this. There we go. And I by the way, I love how silent this video is. Everyone at home will be thinking he's got the sound turned off, but I haven't. I almost don't want to talk. <laughs> I know it's. Um... So one of the activities that you can do in the Okavango Delta is, is what's called Mokoros. And a Mokoro is a dugout canoe. Um, basically, tribes in the area, the, the, um, the, the sand, they used to take trees and dig them out and, and cut them out and so that they can actually use them to, to get across from island to island. This is an activity that we can use or we can do when there are water levels um, you know, in, in, the, in the delta. So we were just sneaking up onto a herd of elephants that were drinking. And, um, yeah, it's it's something that, you know, unfortunately in the low season, and this is the catch-22, the, the, the a lot of people think that in the low season, um, when the waters recede, that the Okavango Delta dries up completely. It doesn't. Um, the very northern sections of the Okavango Delta will still have permanent floodplain. So... Mm -hmm. If the camps are chosen correctly where you want to go, you can still do those kind of activities. Obviously, during the, the high floodwaters and the peak season of, of the delta coming down, you can do that at most camps um, that are water-based or, or both offer land and water activities. So um, it's just a, it's an adventure. I, I, I love walking in the bush. I love any activity where you don't hear a motorized vehicle. Um, yeah. So being on a Makoro where it's literally – Two of you, or you know, you have a polar. It's basically like you're in Venice with a gondola, yep. um, mm -hmm. and it's it's quiet. And you know, you, you get to see small things. You get to see tiny little reed frogs, which are minuscule. Um, you sneak yep. up to elephants. You you just get a complete different perspective of your surroundings and and the nature that you're in. It's the it's the serenity of that piece. I I played that video. Um, after you'd sent it through to me, probably about five or six times, um, yeah. and, and it was just it, exactly that. It's the absolute serenity of it. It's the fact that it's so quiet, and you can kind of imagine that you know, as you are getting relatively close to wildlife, you you'd feel like you're not really disturbing them that much because you, you're you're being so quiet and stealthy. Um, exactly. Quite a, quite an interesting thing happened with that video slightly after I, I, I stopped filming. But one of the the polars at the back that was controlling the Makoro had a sneeze, but he, he held it in. That when you know when you sneeze and you sort of keep it under your breath, and just that sound got the attention of one of the elephants on the side, and sort of his ears came out and sort of <laughs> okay, what's going on? I heard something that's not usual. So. Yeah, you have to be exceptionally quiet when you're doing something like that. And uh, it was just great to see the behavior of the elephant. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and at relatively close quarters. Um, and as well, the, the light, by the way, on this is just absolutely fantastic as well, isn't it? Yeah. You, know, you feel like you're seeing everything so sharply. Um, but that's a great camera you've got, it must be said. <laughs> as I said, it's an expensive hobby. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, now, this next one, um, let me let me make that larger. Um, what are we looking at here, and why did you take this particular image? This, uh, I must be careful not to punt too many camps, but this is probably one of my favorite camps in, in um, Botswana. Um, and it's in the Mahari Hari salt pans. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's a camp that for most people, when I say it's got no electricity, um, it's got no Wi-Fi, um, I really go, uh, not for me. Yeah. <laughs> That's the kind of place I like to go to. But yeah, it's it's got everything you need, and it's it's exceptionally beautiful. It's it's based on a nineteen twenties, thirties East African sort of your your typical colonial sort of East African uh, mobile camps. Um, but yeah, the reason I took this, it's it's on an island in in one of the the um, uh, one of the islands in Khadi Khadi salt pans, and the stars that night were just phenomenal. And I just like playing around with my camera, so we we decided where the Milky Way galaxy was, and fortunately it was situated right above the camp. And uh, yeah, we uh, took off uh, myself and a, and a client of mine took a, a few photos like that. I love that. I mean, it's it's an incredible photo. Um, it, we we sort of touched again on that um, last week when we were talking about South Africa, but the um, is this something you know when we talk about the wildlife experience in in places like Botswana? <laughs> Um, and South Africa, and I suppose across the continent, is this is there's something almost magical about the nighttime, about about the about the evenings, and about the you know that that kind of a view there. You know, I, I couldn't imagine. Well, I don't, I've never seen anything like that. Um, th these kind of skies that you can kind of guess, and I suppose you know being you know around a campfire. You know, is there is there that kind of stories around a campfire at the end of the day, and is there that kind of sort of feel as well? Um, on these kind of trips? Um, if, if I'm there, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'll say it because that's something that I, I personally, I have to have. You know, for me, a camp is not a camp without a campfire. And um, it's, to me, be able to sit around a campfire in the evening or even early in the morning before you actually sort of, just as you've woken up before you head out, that is key. Um, and, and sadly, there's there's so many, and I don't want to be negative in any way, but there's there's so many camps around Africa these days that are, oh, it's more of a production process of, okay, you come back from your safari, go and have dinner, go to bed kind of thing. It's like, hang on, where's the campfire? Where's the drink? I need the gin and tonic. It's, it's, it's sadly it's sadly forgotten. And there, there are very few camps that, that still will say, hey, come, listen, the campfire is going. Let's go and sit around it. And, yeah. you know, so... If I can, if I can have that, and I will always have that when I'm on safari, absolutely, because yeah. that is vital. It's it's part and parcel of it, you know. And you just be, you don't even need to talk around the campfire. Part part of it is just being quiet and just listening yeah. to the night sounds, looking at the stars, um, and listening yeah. to the crackle of the fire. It's it's spectacular. Oh, there's just something very very. I don't know, homely or warming about that. I mean, as well as anything else, I could just look into a when you when you gaze into a fire, you can lose yourself as well. Just looking at the flames sometimes as well. well and then a, lot, sound, a lot of people, a lot of people here in Africa will call it bush TV. Really? Yeah, I could get that actually. <laughs> Let's move on to the next one. This is um, yeah, this one caught my eye because uh, this is just a very very different uh, land landscape to the kind of landscape that I was imagining in, in Southern Africa. Um, what are we looking at here exactly? So this, just to be open, this is not one of my photographs. Um, okay. But it's, no uh, it's See, a picture of... You didn't need to say that. No one would have known. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I can't, I can't not do that. <laughs> this is, this, this is a, a, a picture of an island in, in Makhadi Khadi salt pan. So what you're looking at there in the background is the salt pan. Yep. And that's a baobab tree, um, which is is very famous in Africa. Um, not that tree particularly, but the actual species, the baobab tree. Um, but it's just it's just this contrast of this ultra flat uh, salt pan to these rocky outcrops that you get with these massive, beautiful, big trees. 
Um, so as I said, diversity, and you, you you just go from that video of us in the Makura in the water yeah. towards the elephants, and then you go to this picture. It's it's night and day. Um, yeah. You know, so diversity wise, it's 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 a mind blowing place to go and explore. With these with these salt flats, I mean, first of all, by the way, I've got to say that those the baobab trees, I just think are the most beautiful tree ever. You know, the the, the way in which they have these really wide bases. And then the you know relatively narrow um, upper branches. I just think they visually they're just absolutely stunning. Um, but but yeah. when we look at these salt plains, is there is there any is there any wildlife around there, or is that is there nothing really there at all in terms of wildlife? So there there is wildlife, but if you if you had to go out into the middle of a pan, yeah. um, no. It's, there's nothing there. It's um, you know if I'm talking, you go smack bang into the middle where you if you're looking all around 360 degrees, you you will not see a single other thing. It's literally just flat, flat, flat. Um, but you do get islands closer to the edges of these pans, and on those islands you will get a lot of wildlife. And one of the best things about what I like about Makhari Khari, and this is one of these if I can say insider tips. Um, <laughs> That that and particularly during the low season, which I love, is that you get one of the largest, um, not one of the largest, longest mammal migrations happening. Everyone knows about the wildebeest migration up in East Africa that goes between the Serengeti Masai Mara ecosystem, um, but this migration is very long. It's just over 250 kilometers long, um, wow. one direction, and that's of zebra and you get thousands of zebras that gather in the southern southern uh, floodplains of the chobe area and they migrate south into these um pans on the edge and it's just that only happens in the in well botswana's low season um you know yeah. when the rains are around and most people don't want to be there accessibility can be quite difficult at times getting in um but i've been there in in the low season i've seen these 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 zebras come in and it is it's it's spectacular it's just it's the noise level um in that video you played earlier you heard the zebras calling which is that oh wah, 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 wah. Um, yeah. that happens all the time you know and these these maharikari soul pans is is it has a lot of animals i've been seeing more lion there happening now i think i sent you a few photographs of a lion pride walking through um, yes that's a, a salt pan um, you know, you get brown hyena, which is an exceptionally rare species of hyena to see. Um, they're very shy animals. You don't often get to see them. Um, the meerkats, which I've spoken to you about before, um, it's just, it's, and you know, and if the conditions are, are right, you can get massive flocks of flamingos that, that congregate into these pans as well. So, yeah, don't don't think there's there's no wildlife there. They definitely yes. Yeah, just need just need to know where to look, I guess, as well. Exactly. Um, do any wildlife? Do, do they do the wildlife in um, in Botswana and Southern Africa? Do they um, do they need salt licks? Do they you know do they um, use the, the salt licks? You know, because the way some creatures yeah. need minerals or whatever from from salt. So you'll find salt licks are often put out in areas where the soil has been leached quite badly, and that normally happens from uh, previous overgrazing of areas, and typically from cattle or goats or something like that, um, where the soil hasn't really uh, been well looked after. Um, so there are certain areas, and and more they're more, um, if I can say, controlled areas, uh, smaller areas, not an open system. Um, where the management of that area will put out a salt lick for the animals. And it's just, I don't like to call it a salt lick, it's more of a mineral lick because there are quite a few other mineral compounds that are in it. Um, but no, there will be animals that will go and they will lick salt. Um, you know, so in the salt pans, for example, absolutely, you, you could find animals. A lot of the zebras and, and, and wildebeest that go down there will eat some of the grass that has salt on it um, just to get a bit of a mineral intake. Yeah, love that, love that. As a side note as well, I will say the the um, the, the one time that I did do a safari experience, genuinely one of the one of the highlights for me actually was was seeing zebra, um, which surprised even me. Um, but they're just I just find them again visually they're just absolutely stunning creatures. You know when you see quite a few yeah. in the wild, um, and the you know the stripes are so vivid, they're just 
absolutely beautiful. And it's the fact that they're black and white against a contrast of, you know, a blue sky or the green uh, surroundings. Um, something absolutely, yeah, stunning about, about seeing zebras in the wild, hey? It's, it's the one thing I love about the collective noun of, of, of zebra because it's a dazzle of zebra. Is it a dazzle? It's a dazzle. It literally is dazzling. It's, it's, yeah. If you see a couple hundred, let alone a couple thousand, yeah. zebra altogether, it is just an absolute spectacle to see, as you say, with all those black and white stripes contrasting yeah. against the, their surroundings. So um, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, I love that. Um, the next image that we have... That up. Oh yes. So this one um, was well. Why don't, why don't you tell us what's going on here? <laughs> um, this is. I'm always going to get this this pronunciation wrong because it's it's a it's a group of of San um, and a lot of people call them Bushmen, but the the mm -hmm. uh, the correct name is the San. Um, and they these are the original inhabitants of Southern Africa, and it's it's. It's the, the Zuclo, uh, there's a click in it, which I just cannot do for the life of me. Um, Zuclausi Bushman um, or San. And yeah. to me, the one special thing about Botswana is being able to spend time with um, the local people and the local inhabitants. And if you look at, if you go back thousands of years, hundreds of years in, in Africa's history, the original inhabitants of Southern Africa, all the way from the tip of, of um, Southern Africa up to, the, some people have said uh -huh. sort of the Zambezi region, just north of the Zambezi. Um, it was inhabited by the San and the Khoisan, and they were the pastoralists or the hunter-gatherers. And, you know, these, these are the original inhabitants of Southern Africa and spending time and watching how they live um, in one with their surroundings and earth, it's just, it, it's, it's humbling. It, it really is a humbling experience. And you spend some time with them and you, one of the experiences which I really love to get people to enjoy is, is to spend not just a small little cultural interaction with them, but actually go and spend good and proper time, spending a, a day, you know, mm -hmm. with them and go and walk with them, go track with them, go see how they hunt, um, see how they live, making fire, which you can see what they're doing here. And that's still the traditional way of, um, you know, rubbing two sticks together and putting the little grains of, of sand in it just as a bit of friction to get the, the wood to, to ignite. Um, it's such a humbling experience. And it's something that I think a lot of people forget about when, you know, when they're going to Africa is, okay, I want to see the animals. But I think what brings people back is the actual people. Yeah. Um, of why they want to come back and see some more parts of Africa. I love that, but you know, to, to sort of to learn how um, how how people have you know lived um, and survived for you know for eons actually um, as well. Um, on on that one, we we did you know you very kindly um, provided us with a video uh, showing exactly how they, they did it with the the rubbing of the sticks. And unfortunately, it was um, it was just slightly too large to get onto the. Um, Onto the onto the platform, so unfortunately we had to make do with a photograph. However, um, the next one that you sent us um, again intrigued me. So we have the video actually on this one. So let me let me get this one up. Um, and again, maybe you can sort of talk us through uh, what's happening. What's happening here? <coughs> this is the sand again, right? So yeah. So there are different. Um, if I can say, uh, I don't want to say trials, but little family groupings of, of sand bushmen all over, um, mainly in the sort of the Kalahari section of Botswana. Um, and and this, being a very dry land for most part of the year, I mean, people say they've got 300 days of sunshine and very little rain. But it's, um, you have, water is very scarce. And that's an ostrich egg, which this gentleman has dug out from a bush that he knows very well. Um, and when they're traveling and they, they're moving through vast areas of land, there's no water around. They can't carry water with them. It just makes things too heavy. So they literally have these ostrich egg shells that they've emptied out. They've got a little hole at the top. They often use bee wax to plug the hole so the water doesn't come out. They bury it um, in a location that they will remember um, and when next they're passing through that area, it could be in a month's time, it could be in a day's time, it could be in six months' time, who knows. They know that under this tree there's an ostrich egg and it has water in. 
Um, and all they need to do is dig it up, have a quick sip. They don't waste it. There's a very quick sip. Share it with their, their colleagues. Bury it again, and off they go. That's just tremendous, isn't it? Um, I love that. It does. It reminded me when I when I first saw it of um, some of the indigenous people of Australia, and they have yeah. there's a tree. I forget the name of it. This tree that has the you know it's got like the world's longest roots, um, and it's again you sort of get it in in the you know in the outback where it's incredibly dry. Um, but what they what they would do is they would they would tap it, and you can actually then put a stick in and you get water coming out. Um, but what they would always do, they would always be very, very careful to, you know, and it's quite obvious, really, but I suppose in our society, we're so selfish, we wouldn't necessarily do this. But they plug it back up afterwards as well. Because again, you know, you don't want to waste this. And there's that, you know, concept of, you, you know, you don't waste, but also, you're considering, you know, the next traveler that might be along, and uh, whatever else, they also mm -hmm. might need a drink. I just think that's yeah. just, they've, they've got it's, it nailed. When you, when you spend time with, with people like this, and, and you watch how they don't waste a single thing. Yeah. It, it just shows us how wasteful we are as a society. And, 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 you know, it's, you think of the water crises around and, you know, it's just, it's, it's horrific what we do to the, to the earth. And you look at what these people do and how they live and you think, Oh, Hey, can they be happy? You won't see bigger smiles on people's faces. You know, it's, it's, and they, they just know how to learn to live one with, with the earth. It's, yeah. it, it really is humbling. It's, and and we and with each other as well. You know, again, what always strikes me is they're always incredibly considerate of everybody else. You know, of other travellers exactly. that might be coming by, and and that that um, I saw a program not so long ago in um, it was of the um, uh, the nomads in Mongolia, and again they you know they're really tightly knit because it's quite a hostile terrain. You know, they recognize that, you know, if you, if you go out on your own, you, you're not going to make it. You're not going to survive the winter. Yeah. But yeah. if you're all in it together and you all look out for each other, you know, obviously that, that's the way in which you can not only survive, but also thrive. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Um, we've got another video, uh, which is um, another wonderful one, which you can... Uh, hopefully talk us through if you don't mind let me get it up for you um and this one was just surprised me because this is you know, this is actually quite loud um yeah, but so anyway, turn, turn your volume up if you're watching <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll actually yeah. i'll wait to talk until the end yeah fair play <laughs> Are they happy or are they <laughs> are they happy with you being there or are they not happy? <laughs> What's going on yeah, there? They were they were happy. They they didn't they, they couldn't they couldn't care that I was there or not. Um yeah, it's pretty special. I mean for me, you know, listening to one one lion roar is is amazing to have an entire pride decide to yeah. to open up. Um yeah, that the air reverberates around you and it's 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 you feel that it comes from the gut. Yeah. Um, that's really special. But um, so yeah, lions call like that uh, primarily for two reasons. Um, one, it's to mark territory. So if there are any other lion prides around, um, they're literally saying, "Hey, hang on, listen, we're here. We don't want to fight, but don't come any closer." Um, or it's to contact other members of their pride that might have got lost or you know just uh, separated from from the, the original pride. So yeah, they they were just their marking territory. That's that's what they were doing. Um, but that was in in the central Kalahari um, of Botswana, and uh, yeah, pretty pretty special place. That's incredible, isn't it? What um what struck me about that the, the let's say that that one time that I was on a safari, um we'd got up really early and uh, we'd we'd had a breakfast and we just heard not the roar of a lion, uh, not too far away. 
but it was kind of like a growl almost. But what really struck me was um, I felt fear. I, I felt fear just from that growl. It was so deep, not sinister. That's the that's the wrong word, but um, it sharpened my senses. It was it was a sound that will. Well, let's say I've only ever heard it once. It will stay with me forever. If I, I, I felt the, I felt the growl. If you know Did what I mean, you? it was. <laughs> yeah, it was really no, but you know, it was. I think it's that sort of pri primeval almost instinct that made me think that is trouble right there. <laughs> That's not necessarily direct trouble, but you know, as in, I, I felt like there was. I was in the presence of, of something quite powerful. No, absolutely, and that's and that's exactly what it's there for. And it's it's the one thing I love about lions is that they communicate with you. Um, you know, if they don't want you there, if they don't like you, if if there's something that's that's upsetting them about your presence, um, or even if you don't know that they're there and you're approaching, they're going to talk to you. Um, they will communicate. We've just lost the understanding of that communication. So having that short, sharp growl is probably them saying, "Hey, listen, back off." Um, you know, don't come too close. I've had it a few times myself where you, and I, it's kind of, you want them to do that. It's just like, okay, I appreciate you. I hear you. Um, yeah. I'm going to back off now. Um, sure. But it is when they, when they growl like that, it, it, it gets you in here and it makes you feel very small. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I felt in insignificant once. <laughs> That's a tremendous video though. Um, we're getting towards the end of our time on 40. God, it flicks over so quick. Yeah. Um, but what I did want to show was um, was this one. Now, this 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 is interesting. Talk us through what we're looking at. Obviously, an awful lot of people. Um, yeah. Tell us about so, so 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 basically, with with Botswana's primary way of of, of working with tourism is is high quality, low volume tourism. However, uh, and this is what's made them so successful um, where they are in, in a tourism sort of space. Um, however, there are sort of small little sections of Botswana that uh, I, I want to say are sort of losing that kind of plot and understanding. Um, and this is up in the northern section of Botswana, very close to the border of... Um, we're actually, we're sitting on the border right now. There's photographs taken on the border between Botswana and Namibia. Um, uh -huh. Namibia being behind the camera and you're looking at, at Chobe National Park in front of you. And this is on the Chobe River. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, it's just a mass of hotels have gone up along that riverbank. Um, it's, it's, it's mass tourism um, and over-tourism. And it's, it's a sad thing to see because it's, you know, it's a spectacular part of the country. It's a spectacular part of Botswana. Um, yeah. but, but sadly, that is creeping in um, into certain parts. Um, and funny enough, that 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 picture you actually saw, uh, you showed earlier of the leopard and the elephant, yep. um, was actually taken in the high season, and we were the first vehicle to find that leopard. Um, and when we turned around, we were so focused on photographing and videoing, and when we turned around, we just saw I think there were 14, 15 other vehicles that snuck up wow. behind us. So there are parts of Botswana, and if you don't know where you're going, you're going to have a lot of people. Um, and sadly, this is, is something that I try and avoid at all costs. It's, 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 I don't think it's good for the environment. It's not good for the animals. It's, 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 and I don't know. I don't think it's good for the country in, 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 in a bigger sense. So, yeah, it's, it's, you got to be careful. And this is why going in the low season is even better because you're not going to get this. Um, yeah, you know, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I love that. Um, well, I think, unfortunately, Warren, we are um, we are out of time. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it does. It just it. Well, the thing is, it's it's just so fascinating speaking to you. It just clicks over so quickly. Unfortunately, um, but thank you so much. Thank you so much for um, for your time today, and thanks for you know thanks as well for those photographs, which are absolutely stunning, um, and indeed the video, um, which was wonderful. And I, I think that that's really sort of brought. Um, Botswana to life um, a little more for our viewers and for our listeners um, so thank you very much for that it's been absolutely an education so thank you it's been an absolute pleasure once again thank you thank you and we will um, we will of course see you next week and yes. we are we are heading over to Namibia next week we are what, what we kind are. of things can we look forward to in Namibia um 
secondly, it's densely populated country in the world. Um, really? Oldest desert, <laughs> oldest desert in the world. Largest yeah. sand dunes in the world. Um, a coastline that has probably claimed more ships and sailors' lives than probably most coastlines <laughs> around the world. Um, it's it's big skies. Uh, it's it's just a very unique, different experience once again. Um, you know, so it's 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 something to to definitely tune into because it's, it's there's a lot of hidden secrets about Namibia that um, I think a lot of people push off and say no, this is for another trip. But yeah, it's a very special place to visit. Awesome. Well, really, really looking forward to that. Um, obviously, same time again next week. Uh, but thank you for now. We, we will let you go on that, Warren, to enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, but thanks again for being uh, a wonderful guest and for talking us through Botswana. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jed. It's been a pleasure. So there we have it. Huge thanks again to Warren for sharing his insights with us again this week, as well as our friends at Africa Rome, without whose support this mini-series would not be possible. Please do visit our lowseasontraveler.com website to learn all about the Low Season Africa series, as well as seeing our latest content and some amazing competition prizes which we'll be giving away this summer. Also, do visit the africarome.com website to learn more about the incredible experiences which those guys offer for guests. You'll be in safe hands. In the next episode, we stay in Africa as we head across to Namibia to learn more about the incredible diversity of this destination. So if you haven't already done so, please do like and follow the Low Season Traveller pages on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter to see all of our new latest content and be in with a chance to win stays in top five-star luxury properties as well as being the first to know about our latest Low Season Traveller live updates. And that's our podcast done for the week. Thanks as always for your company. Have a great week. Stay healthy, stay safe, keep your travel dreams alive and don't forget to share this podcast with your friends, family, and social networks. Finally, remember that now, more than ever, travel is better without the crowds.